0: Father, we pray that our lives will indeed speak for you, because you have spoken into our lives. As we continue in worship, let your word truly speak deeply into our souls, and we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Do you ever feel that sometimes the the issues of of our world and of life are so overwhelming? You just want to shrug your shoulders and say, what can we possibly do about this? You see the pain and the heartache in so many people, so many countries of the world, so many places, and, and you want to do something, you want to you want to interject something into that of good and and even when we attempt to do that it, it it feels like just a drop of water in the ocean even as a as a congregation you know moving beyond just us as individuals but as a congregation you know we have a fair number of people here and and we try to do a fair number of things to to help people particularly in our county the food pantry and and uh, with our community service fund and, and uh, other ways in which we help people. And, and it's good that we do that. But, you know, when you stop and ponder it, you you, you just think, we oh, really making any difference. And when I really think through some of that stuff, I, I am tempted to get pretty discouraged. And I'm tempted to say, well, if it feels like we're not really accomplishing anything, maybe we... You know, maybe we should just not worry about it. And discouragement can so easily get in underneath us. When I read about the Jews in the 5th century who've returned to Jerusalem and have been given the task by God to rebuild the walls and the city and the temple and make this a place of worship and are being opposed by, on so many fronts, and the work is, is just not happening the way they want it to, I find that they too are very discouraged with life. You know, they feel like God is, has given them this great calling to do something amazing, and it's not happening. And discouragement sets in, and the work slows to a crawl, and they're just ready to throw up their hands and say, What's the point? It's into that mindset and into that environment that the author of the books that we call 1st and 2nd Chronicles enters. And, and he, gives, he gives to them selected stories from Israel's history out of the vast number of stories that he could share to remind them of important truths that will get them back up on their feet and get them going again whether they see the results of their work or not. And at the center of what he says, as we've been talking over these past few weeks through First Chronicles, the center of what he says is that God is the king. If, if that isn't in place, if that isn't in their minds, if that's not central to their focus, nothing else really matters. God is the king. God is on the throne of the universe. As we look at this stuff that we put here through the weeks to symbolize things we talked about, this chair symbolizes God's throne. And everything is around it. But the writer also tells them not only that God is the king, but he talks to them about some characteristics of what it means to be citizens of God's kingdom. And so we have this tree to remind us, as we saw in the genealogies, that as we're connected to God, we're also connected to each other across the centuries, and around the world. And it's a great privilege. And this heart reminds us that people who are part of of God's kingdom live with their hearts turned to God. We're not perfect. But the desire of our hearts is to do what God wants to do and to be in intimate relationship with God. And the cape reminds us that when we're in that kind of intimate relationship with God as citizens of the kingdom, we can do heroic things that we could have never dreamed possible. The heart hat with the balloon on it reminds us that when we come to worship, it's a pretty awe-inspiring, even frightening thing to be in the presence of the Almighty God. And yet it's also a time to celebrate because God invites us into his presence. And the little prism balls remind us that when we go out from worship, we go to reflect the vibrant colors of God into a world that is so lost and drab. And the climbing harness that's, I guess, a little hidden behind the tree there, speaks to us about about the, the challenges that God brings into our lives. And like climbing Mount Everest that is both frightening and exhilarating, so our walk with God is that way as well. But we can do it because we're in Him. And the kneeling bench keeps before us as we As we go through the battles of of life against the evil one and in this world, it it keeps before us the truth that we are never more engaged in the battle than when we pray. And the hand that came off of of the old church before this one was built down the, the street just a little bit takes us back to the story of of David and the census and and the poison of pride that gets into him and that the solution to that is to live our lives glorifying God in every way we possibly can. And then last week we talked about uh, using the, the movie Clapboard to remind us like the credits rolling at the end of the movie that all of us have this amazing privilege to be a part of what God is doing in this world in service. And now as we're coming to the, the last couple of chapters of First Chronicles, they're still talking about the temple. David is still, is still focused on building the temple. But he he's clearly, clearly understands that he's not going to be the one to build it. The beginning of, of chapter 28, David, David reiterates that the Lord, the God of Israel said, you know, even though David wanted to build it, he said, look, you're not going to be the one because you've shed too much blood. You've shed blood. Now, it doesn't mean David did something wrong. It just simply means that David's calling was to win battles. And Solomon's calling is to build a temple. And David acknowledges that. But David is so passionate about wanting to build this temple that he realizes that he's going to do everything he can to prepare Solomon and the people to make it a reality. Because David wants to do great things for God. And one of the great things that David wants to do is to build this temple, but he's not going to be able to build it. And so what he does instead is to leave a legacy so that the people coming behind him will have something to build with. And as citizens of God's kingdom, we are building legacies that other people coming behind us are going to build their lives on. We're going to influence other people. Other people are going, to, are going to follow us in some way or another. And the question is, what kind of legacy are we leaving? Are we leaving a legacy that's inspiring people to do great things for God? Or are we leaving a legacy of trying to just live our lives with our heads just above water? Because that's all we feel like we can do. I'm convinced God is calling us to something more than just keeping our heads above water. There are times where that's what you do. Circumstances make that the case. But when you look at the the longevity of life, are are we attempting individually and corporately any great things for God that are beyond us, that are out there that we simply cannot do on our own? You know, one of the things about living... Living in a way of, of leaving a legacy is that every decision you make, you're always thinking, how is this going to affect the people who are coming behind me? So you can't do great things for God and live selfishly. It, it just doesn't work. It, it's, they're incompatible. Because when we live selfishly, we don't do great things for God. We're just thinking about what can I get for myself? We're not going to take risks if our lives are are centered on on selfishness of ourselves. Only when we begin to see things from God's perspective and are willing to work outside of ourselves will we attempt any great things for God. And so we're asking as we make this choice, how will this choice affect people who come after me? How will this decision affect? Be, be viewed by people who come later? Is that going to lead them toward God or away from Him? I don't know exactly what the legacy will be for us as individuals and for us corporately. But I am convinced that God wants us to, to attempt great things for Him. So that when people come up behind us, they will be, the, the, the image they have of what it means to be a citizen of the kingdom is to do great things for God. And having watched us in whatever form they do, it'll be the most natural thing in the world to live a life of risk and faith. Attempting great things for the kingdom. Now we tend to think that if we're going that great thing, doing great things for the kingdom is about doing flashy things, about doing extraordinary things, about doing things that people are going to stand back and say, Wow. And sometimes that happens. David, you know, it's a temple. That's a huge thing that Solomon builds. But I, I think most of the time, it's not about the extraordinary. It's about the common, ordinary, faithful life. I think it's about being faithful in the everyday things and asking God on a daily basis to just stretch us a little bit more. And as God presents opportunities for us to take steps of faith and to risk, we take them. We're talking about this faith promise giving. It's one small way that we can take a risk for God individually and corporately. Because I believe God wants us to take those daily common experiences and turn them into great things for him. And when we do, then people begin to think about daily, everyday life as doing great things for God. And we influence each other. You think in your life, none of us none of us, come to, to our journey of faith, where, whatever place you are in your walk with God, none of us have gotten where we are on our own. Many people, I would assume, have influenced us people we've watched, people we've spent time with, people we've read about, they have all created legacies and left legacies for us. Why would we think God doesn't want to use us to leave a legacy for other people? And you may be thinking, well, I'm young, you know, thinking about what I'm going to leave when next generation or whomever. I'm not really thinking about that now, but see, that's, That's the wrong way to think. Now is the time to think about the legacy we're going to leave. Not when our days are drawing to a close. When our days are drawing to a close, we're just wrapping up the legacy that we've created. When I read these passages and see how much David amasses and the fortune he has from the spoils of war, David doesn't, doesn't amass that fortune so he can sit back and say, look how much I have. amasses the fortune so he can leave it for Solomon and the people to build this great thing for God see everything that we do for the kingdom of God everything we do in terms of the legacy that we want to leave is about doing things that connect people with God we think about what is the temple The temple is the the representation of the dwelling place of God. And as you read through the scriptures, you, you see the temple described as a place where people connect with God. It's a house of prayer. It's a place where people experience the presence of God and worship God. It's all about connecting people to God. And the great things we do that leave a great legacy will always be about connecting people to God. So as you think about the decisions you're making and and the kind of steps you're taking and the the risks that are part of your life, what's it going to leave people? What's it going to tell them about what it means to be in relationship with God? And the legacy we leave might not be about the next generation. It might be about the person who lives in in the room next door. It might be about our children, our own children, the children of this congregation. It might be about, about academy students or, or college students who are here for a brief time and then go out and hopefully we're, we're investing something of ourselves in them. It could be anybody who might be watching us about what it means to be a citizen of the kingdom. Ultimately, doing great things for God that leaves a great legacy for God is really about simply trusting the power of our great God. David tells us in this passage again and again, it's about what God can do, not about what we can do. Before David ever hands the plans to Solomon, he says in verse 8, I charge you in the sight of Israel, the assembly of the Lord, in the hearing of our God, be careful to follow all the commands of the Lord your God, that you may possess this good land and pass it on as an inheritance to your descendants forever. Make sure you are connected to God. Make sure your trust, your steps of faith are in God, not in yourself. If we think we're going to do great things in our own power, we are going to fail miserably. It's only in the power of God that great things will ever happen. Sometimes we think about leaving a legacy and and doing great things as, as, well, I I guess I have to be perfect. If you are, let me know because I want to make sure I'm following you. It's not about perfection. It's about faithfulness. David's not perfect. The Chronicler tells us. Chronicler tells us earlier, chapter sixteen, about how David, you know, David ignores the the command of God about how to move the ark, and some bad stuff takes place. Chapter twenty-one, David uh, gets prideful in his heart, and so calls for this census and. 70,000 people die. And he doesn't even mention the story of of Bathsheba. He hints at it in, in chapter 20 as that passage begins the exact same way as 2 Samuel 11 begins when it tells the story. David's not perfect. And yet God says, he is a man after my own heart. Because the desire of David's heart it is to take steps of faith, to risk for God, to do great things for the King. And God is pleased even when we fail sometimes. I was trying to think of how to, how to image this for us. And I was thinking back to um, when I was in grade school and early years of high school. Uh, P.E. class was typically my favorite. It's the one class I usually got a decent grade in. Um, and, and I liked P.E. class, you know, like football in the winter, like playing basketball or football in the, in the fall and basketball in the winter and baseball you know, later in the spring. What I didn't like was the whole track and field part of it. I've never been very good or interested in running. I mean, I, and I was a, you know, I, was, I don't even think I weighed 100 pounds when I started high school. So, you know, so only for those days again. But uh, that's a whole other story. But, you know, I, I, I couldn't hardly pick up a shot put, much less throw it. You know, and I had to go through all these events, and, but particularly the running events. I was slow, and and I didn't like it. And we had to run, you know, the mile, and I was always the last person coming in. And in those days, we all wore uniform, some of you remember that, all white, you know, white shirt, white socks, white pants, shorts, you know, the whole thing, and this little white speck running around the track while everybody else is standing there waiting for me to finish, you know. I, I just never, I never thought, and I always thought, why would I want to do something that most, a lot of athletic teams use as punishment? Have you, you know, thought about that, you know? You mess that play up, okay, give me a couple of laps. I, I, why would I want to do that, you know, it just makes it worse, but I have come to admire people who run. And I've kind of learned the, the value and, and even the joy a little bit of running. But I admire people who can run. I watch people sprint in some of the races. And, and I watch people who run long distances. And, and there's something about that that it's almost, it's almost beautiful to see people do that. And I'm amazed. And I deeply admire people who can run like that. One of the things that I love about times like the Olympics and the races are the relays. And someone was suggesting to me recently that that whole concept of the relay has something to say to us about what we're talking about today. And and particularly what symbolizes that is the baton. This little piece of metal or fiberglass or whatever it is that runners pass. Between themselves in a relay race. When people run in a relay race, you start, if you start, you don't finish. The people in the middle run their lap and don't get to start or finish. When the person who the anchor person if that person cuts the tape as they finish and you and, and gets first, they don't stand on the platform by themselves. The whole team gets on the platform. Because they, they couldn't have crossed that tape first if the other people didn't run the way they were supposed to. But the real key to a relay race is the baton. If you drop it, you're disqualified. And what I find fascinating is, is how the baton gets passed. You'll notice in this picture that the person who's, who's getting ready to start their lap isn't looking back, they're looking forward. They've got their hand out open and the person who's finishing puts it in their hand. And there's something about that in the way we think of the legacy we're leaving about doing great things for the kingdom of God. As individuals and as a community of faith, what are we putting into the hands of, the other, of people who are getting ready to run their race? What are we leaving them? Are we leaving them a legacy that just seems normal to do great things for God? I think about this congregation. And how in the middle of the depression, 75 years ago, they said, we need to build a new church. And in the middle of that difficult economic time, they built a structure that was bigger than they needed at the time. And they put in stained glass windows that honestly very few Wesleyan churches have. But they wanted it to be something bigger, something more majestic than what some people wanted it to be. And when they put, that, put this building up, probably not all that many people outside of this area paid that much attention. In the scope of the events of the world, it's not that big of a deal, But in the 75 years, thousands of people have come into this building and have been inspired and blessed by being able to worship here. And they left us a legacy of doing things bigger. Of going deeper. Of thinking about more than what's just natural. And they pass the baton to us. What kind of legacy are we passing on from here? As individuals? As a community of faith? What legacy are we leaving for those who come behind us? Gracious Father, give us courage and give us faith in you to risk to do great things for you. That we might leave for those behind us a sense of a legacy about your kingdom. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.